welcome back to Your Brain on Positive. All the love and support you need is residing inside of you. And we're going to make it easier to turn it on. Welcome to Your Brain on Positive. I'm Jackie Simmons. I am your host. And today we are going to talk about what takes your brain off positive. And for me, what takes my brain off positive shifts it straight through neutral and right up into reverse, which will rip the gears out of any car. Putting my brain on negative quickly. All it takes is being around a difficult person. Certain difficult people who have the ability to push my buttons, even though I'm an expert in stress management and in dismantling emotional remote controls so people can't push my buttons, but there's always that one, isn't there? So helping me with this conversation, someone you're going to love because I do and I know you. So please, lastly, just thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for bringing your expertise into my life and now into my podcast. It's always my pleasure, Jackie. You know that. Yeah. All right. So the topic is dealing with difficult people. Let's give them a little bit of uh, get to know you. Mm -hmm. When did you get started dealing with difficult people? Probably my first breath in life. (laughs) Kidding, kidding. But, but um, everybody has difficult people. And everybody has uh, people who stress them. And the root of that is very simple and very obviously we often overlook it. The root of that is we all want what we want. And when we don't get it, the other person's bad. And that's a difficult, (laughs) it's a difficult and painful road to go down. It causes a lot of conflict and a lot of stress that really ultimately is not necessary. Okay. Pause. I got started very young. I love from very young. I love thinking about and looking at what makes people tick. And you might be interested to know that one of the things that was most stimulating to me in that path was uh, I lived in uh, Brooklyn in New York and my parents started taking me to Broadway musicals and theater when I was four. And I remember shows vividly. If you could plug a wire into my head and download what the color sense memories I have from where I was sitting, you'd have great records of all the classic shows. <laughs> the reason I'm mentioning that is not only do I relate very strongly to the music because I'm a, a musician, but those shows very early on got me curious about all the feelings and the relationships and the conflicts and you know, in dramatic structure, there's always a storyline and there's a conflict and there's a peak of the conflict and then there's a resolution and then there's an ending, which is sometimes happy and sometimes not. Well, that's human relationships. Ah, there we go. All right. So we're going to pause this for just a second because you just said a lot and we're going to unpack it. The first thing that you said was about we want what we want and when we don't get what we want, the other person is bad. Right. This sounds like we're talking about two-year-olds, but you're not. You're talking about adults. I'm talking about the two-year-old in the adult. I'm talking about the part of us, when you really have conflict with somebody else and it becomes very personal, there's a wound or a threat or a dissatisfaction that's real, of course. But 
if you don't have the awareness and the ability to observe how you're dealing with it, then you're stuck in the two-year-old mode of give me what I want or I'm going to have a tantrum. Um, it's, um, okay. As an adult, learning about yourself, studying yourself, understanding the difference between your ego and your need, you learn strategies that are much more adult, much more effective to deal with difficult people. And in a bizarre way, which is really true, you learn that most difficulties are not personal. They're really not about you. When okay. someone's being really difficult, it's mm-hmm. their stuff. It, they're having the conflict. They're also saying, give me what I want. Yes. You know, and the what you want and the what they want. It can go sideways. And, right, and before that space in between is the conflict. <laughs> so before we go too far down that particular rabbit hole, there's a place that we're going to go. And so I want to reassure everyone, this is not going to stay really on the concept side. There are some very concrete things that we can all do to make dealing with difficult people easier. And it does not require us to do a lot of introspection or a lot of uh, anything. So just I want to reassure people that, you know, as much as I would love to just have a personal session with you right now, even though this is a podcast, I've got a difficult person. What can we say? The power of this. All right. I want to give everybody just a little bit of a background for you because you have a nickname. And so let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. I mean, my nickname, everybody knows I talk about the elephant in the room. I'm known as the elephant tamer. Uh, You got a slightly different nickname, but it's along the same line. So how did you get tagged as the lion tamer? I got tagged as the lion tamer way back in the 90s um, because I was doing a lot of executive coaching, very senior management, uh, very successful, uh, really accomplished, high achieving, mostly executives, mostly men who also were very abusive in their relationships with other people, the people with a lot of very narcissistic traits who think that bullying people is how you win. And at a certain point, when you get way high up in corporate structure, you can't do that anymore. You have to be a lot smarter. Otherwise, your career is going to be over. It's just That's just a fact. So I would be assigned to coach these guys and basically help them wake up and get a life And the way I would do that, because they were obsessed with being the king and winning everything, would be to let them know that I was their best friend and that I wanted them to be much smarter, that they were getting bad feedback and that they had the control to change that. How could they change it? It's not about the other person. It's about how you behave and what you do. So one of my clients who headed a very big division in his bank said, it's like you're the lion tamer, and that stuck with me. There we go. All right. So the idea I want to make is one that, point for you, yeah. though, okay. because you were uh, reassuring people. I, there's one thing that's very important as we go into any of this discussion, because when we talk about difficult people, inevitably trauma gets mentioned somewhere. And what I want to say is it's at the root of all my work that dealing with difficult people dealing with trauma, dealing with anything that's really challenging does not and should not and ought not, in my opinion, 
be a horrible, painful experience. It shouldn't be agonizing. It shouldn't be endless, oh, I have to deal with this because I'm sick or I'm defective or I've got bad habits or I'm a victim or I'm abused. Although we have those feelings and they're legitimate, once you have those feelings, those are pointers that what you really need is to find the joy in your life, the positive energy in your life that's being blocked by these old habits of struggle, of pain, of trauma. So when you deal with difficult people, you want to come from a basis of, I want things to be better, not the other person is bad. All right. So there we go. First clue on how to deal with a difficult person. Come into any conversation or interaction from the attitude of, I want things to be better Mm -hmm. rather than you're wrong. Right. What's really going on here? Why do we have a disagreement? Why do we have a different point of view? If you ask yourself, if you're able to, and this takes practice, this is a learning, and once you get it, it's really powerful. So if you feel frustrated at first, don't worry about it. It takes practice, just like (laughs) when you drive a car, to play tennis, ride a bike, step by step. When you start to become aware that there's a conflict, ask yourself, what's really going on here? What's the emotion that they're having? And what is it they really want? And when I ask that question, I'm not talking about the words that they're saying. I'm not talking about what they're describing. I'm Mm -hmm. talking about what do they need? And often what they're after is only partly contained in the words of what they're telling you to do. Oh, yeah. Most people, it's funny. All right. When I get into goal setting, when I get into visioning, and I do a lot of this in my work with my Mm -hmm. clients, very often people have no clue what they want. They cannot articulate what they want. Right. Yeah. And so you're right. The words that come out of their mouths are not necessarily the whole story and sometimes not even part of the same story as far as what they want. Right. Right. So I tend to view just the way my mind is wired. I tend to view um, interactions from the perspective of who's got the power, who's making the move. And I often actually almost think of it like, you know, in sports, if you have a basketball team, they have a playbook (laughs) of moves or football if we do the ball this way, then we move this way, we throw it. We ha- They have schemes, schemata for which moves to make to get to the goal. Mm. So I tend to think of in an interaction, who's got the ball? Uh, what do they really want? Who's making the move? Who's pushing? Who's going after something and who's receiving? And what does the person who's pushing really want? So like, for example, in a corporate setting, um, you might have a guy who wants somebody on his team to implement a certain procedure or a certain mm-hmm. decision that he's made. And his team member knows that it's wrong. And a team member says, no, I'm not doing that. Well, if the team member were really smart, Rather than just saying no and getting into a fight and having an interaction, the team member would would realize that he, what does he really want? He wants that scheme to achieve something. He'd look past the specifics of the words to what is he really looking for? 
And he'd say, you know, I get that you want this thing to happen, but I'm not sure that's the best way to do it. How about we look at it this way? We can get what you want done by doing it this way. How about it? But that's addressing Um, what the guy really wants, not the tactic. And if you're not clear what somebody really wants, because let's face it, we just said that it's not always clear to the person who wants it. And it's often not expressed out loud very clearly, even if they do know. Right. So what's the next question that we would ask if the first one is, what do they really want? What do you really want? What, what do you, what, what do you need here? How can I, what can, how can I give you what you want? What are you, what are you looking for? What will make you satisfied? What will make you happy? It's an endless list of questions. And they may or may not be able to answer it, but Mm. you are then deflecting that you are being told a specific thing that you are opposed to. Now, there are also softer ways to say no. When you're in a conflict with a difficult person, especially if they have what I would call more narcissistic traits, and I'll describe what that is in a minute so you can spot it, Um, because there's a lot of it going around these days. (laughs) There are reasons for that. That word is being bandied about a lot these days. And and, incorrect. Good. Thank you. I'm glad you said that. So let's, we're going to go there. All right. Finish your thought. What what else would make you satisfied is um, that kind of questioning. What do you really need here? It's just simple. What are you really after? What end result do you need? What's the end result of what you need? So because, and I'm asking that because I'm trying to think, is there a way I can do what you want that also feels okay to me? Got it. And in that scenario, in the work environment, it makes absolute sense. Absolutely. In in a personal environment, I just realized somebody facing this might bump up against this, that they go to ask one of these questions and realize the issue is that they really don't care what the other person wants. Right. Oh, that's a big aha. Uh Uh-huh. Well, you have choices. If you don't really care what the other person wants... Do you want to be confrontational and say, I don't care and walk away? In which case you're either constructing more conflict or jeopardizing the relationship. Or do you want to say, "Um, I'm not so concerned with this and I'm not comfortable with it. Is this something else we can do here? Can you get it done without me? If you're sticking with that same um, scenario of they they want something that you're not willing to to participate in. the, The language I'm using is, um, softer in a way it's more respectful, but it is not judgmental. It's not setting up a personal opposition. Mm-hmm. You're bad because you're, you're wanting this. What you want is wrong. That's a guarantee for conflict. <laughs> okay. There is no good resolution for what you want is wrong. So advice for the conflict avoidant. You yeah. can avoid conflict by learning a few different ways to talk to the people around yes. you. Rather than running and hiding or falling into what our society says are appropriate ways of dealing with things, um, the whole just say no campaign guaranteed to create conflict. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And uh, if you are conflict avoidant, then you are avoiding dealing with the truth of what's going on and you're selling yourself out. If you are that afraid of difficulty or conflict, you're not taking care of yourself because you have this imagined idea that if you say no, 
you know, the heavens will fall on you and the wrath of Khan will descend and you'll be destroyed by this angry person. Well, that's not helping you because if you really uh, get more aware, more alert and study some of the strategies and the tactics that do work, you don't have to avoid the conflict, but you can dissolve it and still hold your own. I'm not big on conflict. You know, if anybody's into astrology, I have Mars and Libra. I hate direct conflict. And I've spent my entire career helping people learn how to negotiate with each other to get better results and resolutions without knocking heads. And sometimes, because I've done a lot of executive coaching, people really like to knock heads. They get their jollies by destroying other people. We have a number of politicians and celebrities. You just look in the news. You see people who are very, very destructive. They have what I call malignant narcissist traits or other mental health issues. And they enjoy uh, really vilifying and shaming and destroying other people without boundaries. And I'm going to just pause this. And I'm going to say that if somebody takes a look at the news with an objective lens, Mm -hmm. it's all across the board. It is not any one politician. It is not any one celebrity. It is not any one political agenda. And it is not any one social agenda. It's our, okay, it's our culture. Well, I'm not going to go off onto a whole rant, which I can easily do, but. Yeah. How did we get here? I was just going to say the root of that is technology. There you go. If you imagine in the late 1800s, if you were Sarah Bernhardt, the actress, or Abraham Lincoln in the 1860s, and you were very famous, how were you famous? People sent letters that were carried by horse across the country, and five days later, somebody'd know that you made a good speech. If you were really famous, people had to be in person to hear you and see you physically. Once we had the invention of radio, suddenly voices were out over the country, And people became much more famous because they had a bigger impact because they could be heard non-locally. Then we have television. We have movies first. And we have people, you know, up on these huge screens, Clark Gable and Gene Harlow and Charlie Chaplin, all those people. And they become stars in the heavens. They're idealized and elevated because of the reach that the technology gives them. Then television is in everybody's homes. Everywhere. And then after television, then you start to have beepers and pages and the internet. And now everybody who has dessert in a restaurant and takes a photo and puts it up on TikTok is an influencer. And being a little bit older, my question is, why on earth do I want to know that a 20-year-old had dessert that tastes like this? What? How does that contribute to my life? Now, I know a lot of young people really enjoy that. That's fine. But don't make it more significant than it is. Don't give it import when it doesn't have any. Our relationships are totally skewed. The value of one-on-one contact has been significantly interrupted and disconnected. And so we have more conflict with difficult people because people, especially people growing up in the last, let's say from the 60s on, who were hit with the technology in their teens and 20s in the 70s and 80s, especially in the 80s, um, and then in the 90s. Those generations of people don't relate the same way older generations did who were not grown up with technology. 
any child you see in a restaurant watching video games on an iPad has a different brain neurology and a different relational system than young older generations. And so our conflict, our ability to negotiate with each other, to connect on a real level is very different. And so in our culture, we have people who are completely non-empathic, do not know how to connect with people. Okay, so they are incapable of an emotional connection. I would say not incapable. They haven't been, it, they haven't been, that okay. capacity hasn't been developed. They haven't been asked to learn that. Once right. my clients come to me that way, and then when I work with them, of course they learn, and they, oh, big surprise, big shock. Their lives get so much better and so much happier. It right. takes so, some work. But right, absolutely, so they're capable. They're okay, capable. so the pause button, though, is I want to define empathy. And empathy is the ability to make an emotional connection. Yes, empathy is the ability to connect with someone else and to be able to understand what they are experiencing, even if you don't experience it. All right, so I the ability to connect and understand. understand without enmeshment. Right, exactly. I can connect to you and understand that in this moment you are you might be really ticked off. Mm. And I can empathize that you're angry without taking responsibility for it. That is one of the most succinct statements ever on this topic because we run the gamut between yeah. the people who are unable to, they haven't developed the capacity to have an emotional connection and to understand someone else's emotions and on the far side of that is the person who takes responsibility for other people's emotions. For what they shouldn't. And both people, don't should on me, and both people are, are you know, out of balance. Yes, totally. They're so on the, the far ends of a spectrum there. Yes. Yeah, on the far ends of the spectrum. Okay. So the sweet spot in the middle is where we want to go. When we are dealing with a difficult person, if we are unable to connect with them emotionally or or understand their emotions, it's going to be more difficult to deal with them. Yes. And on the other hand, if we are taking, we are not only aware of their emotions, but we are feeling responsible for their emotions, they're going to be more difficult to deal with because we're going to be right. trying to control what's not ours to control. Did I get the it? Sweet spot in the middle. That's exactly right. The sweet spot in the middle is always going to be a little bit messy because we're human beings and we're not machines and we're not precise. So it's always going to be a mix of different feelings. And <sighs> so if you can't relate to the other person because they're just too hardcore and they're not being able to empathize with you and they just want what they want, you really need to take care of yourself and understand strategically how to keep your boundaries without necessarily antagonizing them. And if they do get antagonized, you have to know when to stop the relationship. Okay, so you Not said always a big word. I was going to go to the B word, but I was a little hesitant to go to the B word. The B word is boundaries. And yes. I call it the B word because there's so many trainings out there about how to set and keep quote healthy boundaries and most of them will get you in trouble 
if you're dealing with a difficult person, yes, they are. They, this okay. How about this? If you're dealing with a difficult person, those strategies are ineffective. That's and, right. And, and they'll get you in trouble. What does trouble look like? Listen, ninety-five percent of the videos and the teachings and the psychologists, many of whom are wonderful in in what they say, all that stuff about narcissism out on YouTube. If you follow what they tell you to do, you will get clobbered by the narcissism. Yeah. By the narcissist, guaranteed okay. failure, guaranteed abuse, guaranteed you will walk away feeling demoralized and upset. Why? They don't address the emotional reality that the person with those traits, and I don't want to label people, person who has certain behavior patterns and traits, what their world is like. They don't take that into account. And why I say the word narcissist is being used incorrectly is, the implication is that anybody who has those traits is evil, bad, wrong, a bully. Nonsense. We all have those traits. You have to have those traits in healthy balance to be a good leader. You have to have healthy narcissistic traits to want to have a podcast to help people. I have to have them to say, to sit here and say, hey, Jackie, I've got something good to say. Follow me. Healthy you are safe in my traits. hands. Let me teach you. I have to have healthy narcissism. Now, if I say, by the way, all those people out there, idiots, I'm the only one who really knows, you know, I'm out of balance and you know, I'm not going to help. Now, I just want to say one more oh, thing. Whoa, whoa. Okay. We're going to have to pause and, and hang on to that thought because there are a lot of people making a lot of money saying that everyone else in my industry is an idiot and I'm the only one who understands this exactly. and you need to buy from me. That's the first thing to not trust them about. Guaranteed 100%. And yet there are trainings that say that in your marketing message, you have to have a villain. Sure. That's about money. That's about triggering a pain point in your potential client or audience and making them feel so victimized and demoralized that only you can help them. That's a power play. Now, that's different than a marketing message which says, are you struggling with this? We can guide you to strengthen yourself. Right. That's, that's not also making everybody else. That's not making everybody else. Yeah. Right. It's, but it's also addressing the pain point without yeah. without making the person a victim. And without a, making everyone else they've ever worked with wrong. Absolutely. So there's a sweet spot here. Um, I'm a difficult person in the coaching industry. Um, one, because I'm not a coach. And two, because I actually certify coaches in a methodology. So mm -hmm. I confuse right. people by definition. And I've got a bone to pick with an industry that's gotten really good at sales and really bad at delivering what they're selling. Totally. I'm right there with you. That's one of the reasons I'm going to restrain from a rant. But many of these so-called coaching certification institutes to me are nonsense. And I've never been certified them by them. What my credential is, is my experience and my track record supporting and helping people successfully. And I can give example after example after example of my work. And I can get testimonials from clients that say, she helped me do this. She helped me do that. This is what the change was. This happened. I just got a call last week from a guy I spoke to last eight years ago. Out of the blue, who's now a senior executive at a big organization, a different organization, and he said, I remember you did this, 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 this is what changed. And I was listening and I was thinking, wow, this is fabulous. I did that. No, <laughs> he did that. 
Right. And I reminded him, yeah, I'm a great guy, but he did that. That's the best definition of personal development, professional transformation, et cetera. What they call the coaching industry is you did it. When you, when our clients get what they want, they do the work. We get to guide and everyone guides. I don't care who they're certified by. Everyone guides in their own way. Right. Jackie, what you do and what I do is we listen deeply to the person that we're working with and we respond to guide them to evoke from them what is best for them. I do not ever recall you telling somebody what to do. Here's the program. By the way, here's my sheet of rules for how you behave. And you'll I do tell my students in the certification program what to do, but they pay me to tell them what to do. But that's guidance. But that's yeah. teaching a skill that's different. Yeah, when you're teaching that's a skill. Teaching. Now, when I work with people, specifically dealing with people who have those kinds of extreme narcissistic traits and they have to deal with it, and sometimes I've dealt with women in, in seriously abusive relationships where they were in danger. And I, I can't do that anymore because I get too angry on their behalf. It takes too much out of me. Seriously, um, I've done it and I'm not the person for that anymore. Um, what I do teach people are a set of guidelines. Memorize this sentence. Say it this way. Here's the flag. But understand why I am telling you to do that. You need to spot what's going on to know which strategy to use. And those strategies are the ones that will help get through to that other person with all the defenses and the difficulties with the least conflict. You're not the elephant in the room is if you want to get through to them with the least conflict, we're about to lay down some ideas for you. Yeah. And if that is not your intention, then perhaps this is a relationship that's already over. Yeah. So just, I I like to make it really- Or it can undergo change if you wake up. It can't stay the same or you're going to just be miserable. Well, a lot of people are choosing to be miserable. It's their comfort zone or miserable because they don't know, they're not aware. They don't have any awareness that they can behave differently. Now, Mm -hmm. this brings me to something I was going to say earlier, which I'll just say briefly. Mm -hmm. Um, As our ability to relate to each other generation by generation has been diluted and disconnected more and more by our environment, we have, I believe, more and more situations of abuse in childhood, whether it's emotional disconnection, physical abuse, you know, substance abuse, uh, erratic behavior, all kinds of stuff that if people are growing up in disruptive environments that don't support them to be emotionally whole and emotionally intelligent. So some of these strategies that I'm talking about, you have to realize that it's going to take a little bit of work to realize <laughs> that you have these abilities innately in you, whether mm-hmm. you grew up with them or not, you do. Yeah. A- so we're going to talk about this. This is the difference between nature and nurture. Mm-hmm. And this is why you started out with the trauma conversation that we all, we don't get out of childhood without trauma. No. Just like we don't get out of light alive. Okay. These are certainties in my world. So we also have to deal with the fact that it's true for everybody. 
And there is no trauma that's bigger or smaller than any other trauma. It is just, we all have trauma. Now that we accept that, what can we do to deal with other people? Because we do have to deal with people. To deal with other people who trigger our trauma, that's why we call them difficult, is not because of them, it's because they're triggering our shit. I pardon my language. No, actually, it's my show. I can cuss if I want. Absolutely. So, there we go. My my show, my ballpark. The reality is that there are things that work for everybody across yes. the board. And let's go ahead and give people some of those things that will work for them. And then we'll wrap this up for everyone. And I've got a couple of questions for you. So go ahead. Okay. So I'll give you the strategies, but I have to say that you have to understand the way I understand the word trauma, which is also seriously misused these days and thrown all over the place. So trauma happens when on some level, a person of any age feels survivally threatened. Mm -hmm. It is not mentally. It is not psychologically it's mostly not even emotionally based. It's in the limbic system, in the amygdala, all kinds of hormones and neurotransmitters get pumped. What happens is somehow the person is perceiving a threat and the threat goes down to, will I survive? Mm-hmm. And there are a bunch of reactions to that that we go through. Now, what triggers the trauma is totally different for other people. It's not always somebody standing in front of you with a knife, whether they're going to stab you or not. It's not always a lion chasing you down. It's not only somebody threatening your job. It's not only someone threatening to hurt you. It can be somebody saying something that to everybody else is the simplest little inoffensive comment, and it stings you to the core for whatever reason. So you cannot define what is traumatic. Or anyone else. You need to go into their reality that this was traumatizing, this was upsetting, this caused a, a survival fear, and if it's still bothering them, they haven't cleared it through. So these strategies are ways to negotiate through that sense, because when you're dealing with a difficult person, in some way you are triggered that you're not going to be okay. The bottom line of it is you're not going to be okay. So, I'm going to say that let's, for this example, say the person we're dealing with has what we call these narcissistic traits, which means that they see everything as an extension of themselves. Will they get what they want? Will they win? Or will they, they actually live in a win or die world. I get what I want or I won't survive, which is why they're so controlling and dominating and can be bullying, can also be very charismatic, very thrilling at the beginning. And then very stalking when they like the chase, but once they've got you, then you're their toy. It's like the cat playing with the mouse, you know, loves the chase and then tortures it just because they have to control the chaos in their inner world. So you knowing that about them, one thing you cannot do is say no. That will absolutely trigger their wrath. So there are ways to say no. Here's one. When you want to get somebody with those kinds of behavioral traits to say yes to something, never ask them a yes or no question because they will be hardwired to say no. no okay, so, so never ask a yes or no, no question. This person will never say no to them. Don't, we'll mm-hmm. get to that. We'll get to that second. 
never ask a yes or no question. Here's what you do. Always give them two choices, both of which are okay with you. Either one works for you, one of which you favor slightly more than the other. Emphasize the one that you do not favor. Help me think this through. Your secret thought is, oh, great wise one. Help me think this through. I could do this this way, or I could do this way. Now, secretly, you want A, but you're going to emphasize B. You say, I'm slightly leaning towards B. What do you think? They will be hardwired to choose A. So this is if you are talking to someone who is on the far end of this scale. Yes. Well, not even the far end. This would be almost anyone. This is okay. a basic, a basic, it's a basic, basic human trait. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the intensity of how extreme they are will change how you do it and how subtle you are. You know, it okay. changes that. But basically, you don't ever want to just say a flat no unless you're willing to take on the conflict or ground or explain why you're saying no. Now, verbal discussions often aren't helpful. Remember, What's really going on is an emotional battle, emotional differences. Yeah, survival. What's really going on is that there, there. It, if I'm, if I'm wrong, I will die. Yeah, or if I'm wrong, I'm not going to be okay. Yeah. Okay. If I'm wrong, I'm not going to be okay. I'm not going to be okay. And you know what we're talking about about um, trauma being survival based. Mm-hmm. So somewhere, everybody's reaction in this situation would be somewhere between. If I'm wrong, I'm not going to be okay. And if I'm wrong, I'm going to die. Yes. Okay. So those that's... are just the extremes of intensity of the same issue. Mm-hmm. I'm okay or I'm not. Okay. So that's not mental. The two things not to do. All right. Yeah. So, so do not say no and no do not ask close ended questions. Yes or no questions. And the one thing to do is to, if you if you want them to buy in, I guess is the phrase, if you want them to buy in to an action with you, present two different options, emphasize the that, that you're okay with either one, just yeah. because that's so that you're safe. Yeah, this makes you safe if you're okay with either option. And if there's one that you favor, emphasize the other one. Now, yes. Now, the reason like, you're doing that is you're actually giving the here's why. This is how it works. Okay. The perception of power, which is what the other person wants by demanding what they want, you're giving them the need to feel in charge by giving them the choice. They get to choose. And you can pretty much predict that they'll make some slight change in what you suggested so that they can then own it and take credit for it themselves. Fine, let them. You've basically got what you wanted. And this is not even really about narcissism. This is just about basic human relationships. Yes. If you understand that this is how we all react, if we're presented with the same situation from someone else, we're going to be exhibiting the same tendency to. Yes, it's more it's more important when someone tends towards those narcissistic traits, but it applies to all kinds of difficult people. Now, we do need to say that. Difficult people can also be what we call passive aggressive, where Mm -hmm. they're coming across as very nice. You know, oh, I don't want to hurt you, but and that can make you crazy because those are very mixed messages. 
And your job there, again, is to notice what's really going on. They're saying it very sweetly, but really they're not being so sweet. And you address what they're really saying or doing, again, in a soft voice. But you don't you don't play into the game. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be confrontational or, you know, abusive back. But you need to be truthful with yourself about the power play. What's going on, really? What are they really doing? Oh, they're speaking to me nicely, and they're actually putting me down. That doesn't feel so good. Passive-aggressive people are very much like that. It's very much a key here. You've said what not to do. What you're now saying is what to do. And what to do is give yourself enough breathing room in a relationship that you can observe. Yes, always. Maybe even write down. Yeah. You know, come out of a conversation and write down what happens. See if you notice patterns in your relationships. The more you can teach yourself to have an observer, just have one foot out of the interactions, some awareness, the meta awareness of what's going on, the more likely you will be able to negotiate your relationships far more smoothly. And you will be able, you absolutely will have instances where it's just a nightmare because we're human beings. You're not going to get good at this all the time. It's a little bit of work at the beginning. Now, the other thing about don't ever say no, what you do instead of saying no is, now this I have to explain this sounds manipulative and in the pure sense of the word it is, but it's not harming someone. It's shaping the interaction. So in your, you have a different mental thought than what you're saying. What you say is somebody says, um, oh, this glass is green. You know, it's blue. I know it's blue. But they say, no, 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 this glass is green. Instead of saying, no, it isn't. You're going to have a fight. What you say is, I can kind of see how you might think that. Now, in your mind, you're thinking because you're a pain in the petunias, (laughs) you know, whatever. But you don't say that part out loud. But you say, I can kind of see how you might think that. You're not saying, yes, you're right. And you're not saying, no, it's not. But you're acknowledging their reality. But I wonder, how do I deal with this? I look at this and I'm absolutely sure it's blue. So what do we do? I caught the ball. I held it. I gently tossed it back. I didn't smack it back at the person. So what do we do? Uh, To me, that's blue. All right. Using this, and I'm going to unpack it for me. Mm -hmm. The skill set is catching the ball. Yeah, absolutely. And the ball is someone says something that is in conflict with your reality. Their reality, the, the glass is green, is in conflict with your reality that the glass is blue. The ball is what do they need? And the ball is what do they need? Right. And the shortest path to get there is simply to say, well, I can see how you sort of see that. My reality is that the glass is blue. What do we do with this? Yeah, right. And then they have the opportunity to tell you what it is that they need. Right. And if you do it any other way, you shut down the opportunity for them conflict. to be able to actually share. And you'll yes. be in conflict. Yes. You, you you can disagree without being in conflict using this strategy. Totally. You, are, you must disagree without being in conflict. Because the disagreement is your reality. That doesn't mean you have to win either. Mm-hmm. 
It, yeah, it's, it's not about right or wrong. It is just about we see things differently. What do we do with this? Yes, the conflict is when you equally and oppositely want to win the way they do, and there's no yielding or or connecting or discussing. Now, I want to make one caveat here. If you are actually in physical threat, or an actual survival threat, or a major conflict like this person could fire you and you can't afford to lose the job, you've got to be careful about that. You can't be cavalier about, oh, well, this is my reality. You've got to use a lot more strategy and you've got to be a lot more aware of the dynamics and go slowly. All right. What's really good news is I know that you have a course on this and people are going to be able to find out about it on your website and in the show notes. And so if they want more information on how to deal with difficult people, you've got them covered there. Leslie, this was a lovely journey into this whole world around how do you deal with difficult people and the reality that we are probably someone else's difficult person to deal with. Absolutely. Sure. So thank you for bringing all of your wisdom and everything that you have learned along the way. The power of other people being able to hear your story, recognizing that your depth of experience Mm -hmm. is what you bring to the world. And that has value. And this sidesteps the whole conversation that I'm hearing out there around imposter syndrome and all of these things, which are based on other people's opinions, as opposed to what do I know by my direct experience. Nobody's a label. (laughs) Nobody is a label to me. I love it. Nobody is a label. And that's why what we know about narcissism is just people throwing around labels. It has no validity in a conversation. Trust your observation instead. Here's the thing. You have to trust your observation because it's not that it has no validity. A lot of what's talked about is valid. But they all go down the rabbit hole trying to understand the psychology and the motivations. And get You'll get totally trapped inside that person's head, and it's the last place you want to be. You want to observe what they really want. It's a behavioral approach, and you want to be in integrity and, if at all possible, in kindness. Remember that dealing with difficult people and trying to resolve it, even resolving your own trauma, the reason you want to do that is to make your life better, to be happier to expand, to find more joy, not to just relieve suffering. That's a good goal, but it's only a tiny part of the story. It's the negative part. Okay, I won't suffer pain anymore. No, I want to thrive. So that's really the motivation for wanting to do this. You want to thrive and have more joy in your life. And there are better ways to get through difficult situations. So the goal is not just to survive not even just to dial things down. The goal is to have relationships with difficult people where everyone thrives. Well, it's not always possible because they may not let you help them thrive, but you want to feel good about yourself. You want to be and feel good about yourself. Your highest self shines. There we go. And be kind to everyone, including yourself. Mm -hmm. Yes. I love it. We we could probably go on and talk for hours. So what we are going to do is put a button on this one. 
there are some skills here for people to be aware of. Be aware of how often you just say no mm-hmm. and look for softer ways for addressing any situation with anyone. Be mindful of how many times you're asking a closed-ended question unintentionally. There are times where it's appropriate, but you know, just be mindful because these are habits we've picked up growing up. And make sure that if you're clear on what you want and you're working with someone who's difficult, that you have two options, that both are acceptable. And when you present them, just slightly emphasize the one that is the least attractive if there is a, a, if there is a differentiator between the two. Right. Least because attractive you, you. Because you are satisfying the other person's need to feel in charge and powerful in a way that supports both of you and doesn't harm you and calms them down. There we go. Perfect. Great. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Leslie. My pleasure. Thank you for turning on and turning up your positivity. We know that positivity is easier to maintain in a community, so we have one. Join our community on Facebook, Your Brain on Positive. If you've had an aha from the show, please head over to the community and share it. We love to celebrate wins. <laughs>